following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. It's the semi-annual sale at Mattress Firm. For a limited time, get huge savings of up to $500 on our top-rated mattresses. We have more than 15 beds with over four-star ratings on sale store-wide. Like our fan-favorite Serta Memory Foam Queen mattress, now just $397. You won't find this deal anywhere else. But hurry in, this sale ends Tuesday. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. Hey, Satchel. Hey, Matt. How's it going? That was an amazing conversation that we just had with Pamela Rutledge. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm genuinely more interested in knowing what the Media Psychology Research Center does on the regular. And taking a moment to thank our supporters, Amica Insurance, Rocket Mortgage, and Veridesk. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. What do you, what, what is your, like, day-to-day sort of, like, binging experience with games look like? Even if, if you do spend, like, a lot of hours daily. Yeah, what I usually do, it's sad. Uh, I'll go on Steam, and I'll go through my collection of games, and I'll point out a lot that I actually want to play and go through. But then I have a tendency to... How, how much time does that take? <laughs> it's a, a good while, just collecting the games. Just tidying I, up, huh? Yeah, and then I go to Google, and Order. I look at how long to beat the game. And for some reason in my head, I, if I see, like, eight hours or ten hours, I'm like, oh, that's a long game. And I just go back and forth between, like, indecision until I finally just settle into playing two rounds of Rocket League and going to sleep. This is what adults do. <laughs> <laughs> Figure out just how much hours you can fit into that slot to get yeah. it done. Yeah. But it's, like, a weird thing because uh, – I don't know. When I was a kid, like, you kind of just play a game and you stop when, like, you save. There was no concept of time. Days felt forever. Yeah. And it's also, I guess, what gets overlooked a lot, for me at least, is 10 hours. Like, it's probably broken up. It's not me sitting there for 10 hours. But no. for some you reason. lunch. Yeah. I can pause you snack. it. You know, there are breaks in the story. You but watch I'm, an anime. Yeah. Uh-huh. We, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, like. It's a weird thing where, like, I, I've I've grown this grown this tendency, especially since uh, a lot of games, independent games, have gotten shorter. Where it's like, no, play it in one sitting. Right. You know. Uh, like, hey, okay. Yeah. So, like, if I see two hours, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. It's like a movie, and I can sit and do two hours. But like, <laughs> a lot of my favorite games are like twenty to forty hours long. But for some reason, I have this like mental block with them. Do you right feel now. more secure playing games at a length that feel like a movie? Yeah, and it, I mean the same thing goes with television like once i get into a series like i just finished Mad Men for the first time yeah like once you get into that it's like episode by episode and obviously like it's 40 minutes and there's an arc there and you yeah. finish it and you feel good but like on the outset where you see it's seven seasons long you're like wow that's a commitment but it's like not really no, like yeah yeah and the same thing happens i just finally 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 motivated myself to play neo okay how's that been it's great like <laughs> Which it should have, I should have known it was going to be good because I'm like big Neo. If you don't know, it's like basically Ninja Dark Souls, and I know everything gets compared to Dark oh, Souls. Oh God, I'm done. That's it. I quit this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Come back. Bye. But <laughs> Ninja, I'm not saying Monster Hunter is like Dark Souls. At least I didn't do that. But oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We're calling names now. Okay. <laughs> no, but um, uh, Neo. It, 
I Kieran, love- make sure they send off my check. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> this is the- <laughs> I'm <Okay>. sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. But with Neo, uh, I should have known I was going to love it because Dark Souls is one of my top five favorite games. And, like, okay, it's a game that kind of just not rips it off, but it's, it's totally, like, in the vein of that. But, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, Dark Souls and, like, Neo, it's a very difficult game that's many mm-hmm. hours long. Once you play, like, ten minutes of it, I'm like, I got it. I, I'm into Rap. it. Like, Rap. now it's, like, in my brain, like, haunting me right at this minute at work <laughs> where I'm like, no, I want to go play it right now. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. So uh, there's something to that. I don't know. There, There's some weird thing. I don't know if it's something in being late 20s. Like, I'm – that's stupid. But, like, mm. <laughs> where I have a different mindset and, like, for some reason in my head, I'm like, no, it needs to be in this, like – concise chunk you know i don't know yeah. if you feel the same way no i i do and i guess in some ways it feels like stigma like i'll i'll sort of veer off of telling people how long i might have played for something sometimes I'll, i won't even share what i'm playing so to be consistent i'm gonna tell everybody listen to this podcast what i've been playing lately um in anticipation of blizzards world of warcraft classic servers coming out and reliving the beauty of the vanilla version of World of Warcraft that we had in high school. Um, well, high school for me, anyway. Um, I started talking about it with some of my friends. Like, oh, like, what are we going to do? It's going to be very stripped down, very traditional, you know? It won't be the crazy time sink that it normally is. Again, justifying. Yeah. And as we got into organizing what our parties are going to be like, what classes and races we'd roll... I was like, you know what, why don't we just, like, start, like, a little, why don't we roll a character on the the servers right now and just, yeah. like, practice and train together and see what it's like, oh you God. know? Like, I was, it was with people that, like, I want to, I want to connect with more, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I want to be more around and talk to, so, um, we rolled characters and we've been, I've been playing that late at night and, you know, sometimes it goes late, <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't mention that at all like i wouldn't even i wouldn't mention to the significant other that i play that at all because there's so much stigma. there is a stigma where it's like (laughs) oh you're getting back into it right like it's a gateway drug right (laughs) like you can't just play it like you could just read a zine for some reason to people i don't understand Um, it's the weird thing it's like uh me sitting down to read like a magazine like it takes a while like i'm not the fastest reader but like it's just like once you sit down and start doing it then like you're making something of your time I'm right. stupid and like go back and forth with indecision, so nothing gets done. Yeah, it would be like if I just started it and I would get into it, and it wouldn't be a big thing because I'm gonna stay up till three a.m. anyway. Right. So <laughs> I, I hate that I can share a room with somebody and decide, oh, I'm gonna read like Kierkegaard for like the whole day because that's how long you need to parse through his like <laughs> diction and crazy whatever and mm-hmm. theological density and craziness and. Like, people will be like, oh, he's fucking Kierkegaard, or whatever, I'm going to do whatever. And I'll spend that same time, like, playing Monster Hunter and, like, connecting with my friends, having a genuine experience. They're like, all right, when are you going to get over that and do something with it? And it's like, what? I'm enjoying like, <laughs> I'm enjoying myself. Like, this, yeah. this is still time that's not yours. Why does it? Why mm-hmm. is it less valuable based on the medium of using? So, yeah. I wonder if a part of that's, like, in my mind, it's maybe people think that's it's, like, more relaxing or, like valuable to spend your time doing something else but like that's relaxing to me you know like playing even though like neo is like a hardcore game that's like the most zen game because you're just like in a loop and like of of (laughs) death but like it's like a loop of death that is very (laughs) calm loops of death tell me more it's it's your brain gets like so focused on like the mechanics and everything that like time goes but flies by and it's like 
don't know. It's something. There's something very relaxing about it. I feel like I'm in a hot topic in 1999. Right now. <laughs> Are you going to tell me if I buy two T-shirts, I get the third one free? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you'll get the Green Day one and the uh, yes! Nightmare Report <laughs> with the yes and. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> oh. I love Green Day too. I don't. I don't know if I just made I fun of or not. But no. Um, but now, wait, which record? Because that's how I do all it. of them. <laughs> that is you're okay. Safe. You're Uno safe. Dos ain't that great. But I was all about yeah. like I got into this is so off pathic. But I got into Warning first when okay. I was ten, and that was like the big respect. Oh my god! Yeah. I went back and listened to everything, and then American Idiot came out, and I was totally that guy. I was like, oh. You just got into them, right? <laughs> no, me too. Me too. Me too. Yeah. When people were buying like the Bull in the Bible thing, I was like. Okay, but did you listen to Dookie, though? Like, <laughs> okay, let's get back on track. Like the course of the day. But to your point of, uh, like, multiplayer games with, like, World of Warcraft, I think that's a, a thing, too, where, I mean, I love, 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 love multiplayer games. Um, but for some reason in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm not spending that much time playing Rocket League. And then I look how much time I spent in it. It's, like, 150 hours or something yeah. like that. And it's, yeah. like... I just do it because I like dunking on people and right. like that. I just need that before I go to sleep, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with League of Legends where <laughs> it, I'm in control. <laughs> I am yes, in absolutely. Control. Yeah. But no, it's totally, especially with League of Legends, this happens where uh, I haven't played in a while. I got over it, but I'm probably going to come back to it eventually. But uh, it was like, you know, in your head, especially when I was at the time when I was freelancing and making YouTube videos, like, um, it was like, okay, I'll work a little bit, and then I'll play one game, and it won't yeah. be a big thing. Yeah. And it ended up being like two or three games per day. Those games, <laughs> and, and like in your mind, it's like it's just one game. You know, it might be 20 minutes long. It might be 40 minutes long, but it's just one. Uh, right. But like that adds up over a year. Of course. <laughs> um, of course. And like just checking back at like, okay, this is a game that like I play to relax, and it's just like quick little burst of like euphoria or like complete despair either or uh just looking at like how much time i have spent in it and it's like around 56 days or something like that like <laughs> literally thousands <laughs> i'm about it you know i guess it just happens I, I think at the end of the day we are all just enjoying a really engaging narrative like everybody else everybody kind of has their thing with that and the ways in which we get into it, the ways in which we're engaged by it. In some ways, I think it's more interesting that we get to make decisions and that we sort of have this visual aspect and the sonic aspect to it. Um, but I think without further ado, what we should do is uh, share this this amazing interview that we yeah. had and all the things that we sort of learned about uh, stigmas around addiction, around like the amount of time we spent either binging things or just really enjoying them for a healthy amount of time. Yeah, like you said, we talked to Pamela Rutledge, who is a media psychologist who speaks on, speaks on why we binge on television and how it extends to our binging of video games. So uh, let's get into it. Let's do it. But first, a quick break. This podcast is brought to you by Amica Auto Home and Life Insurance. When you call Amica, you can expect a different experience because Amica is all about customer service that goes above and beyond the ordinary. You always get the help you need when you call Amica. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes today. And this year, the office cubicle turns 50 years old. It hails from an age when work was done on typewriters and smoking at your desk was the norm. Today, employees are expecting more from their workspace. They want flexible and active spaces where they can collaborate and feel energized. Veridesk Active Workspace solutions make it easy to encourage more movement to any workday. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, boost energy, and increase productivity. 
Veridesk has a variety of desk solutions that replace traditional office setups, require little to no assembly, and are ready to use in minutes. Plus, Veridesk products are made from commercial-grade materials meant to last a lifetime. They're easy to move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. You can try Veridesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns if you're not satisfied. See it for yourself at Veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com. So with us now is Pamela Rutledge. She's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. Thanks for joining us, Pamela. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Awesome. So uh, just to start off, can you tell us about like the habit of binging television, like why it's become such a norm to like race through a series on Netflix? Well, you know, I think it's very interesting uh, to just even back up and look at it semantically, why we call it binging, because that is traditionally a very negative description, right? Binging implies lack of self-control and kind of all kinds of negative things that we like to beat ourselves up with. But in fact, what we have done is take control of media consumption. So no one calls it binging if you if you check out for the afternoon to read Charles Dickens, right? But <laughs> if you decide to go uh, play games for the afternoon or watch a television show for the afternoon, that somehow that's a, you know somehow uh, a negative thing to do. So I start from the presumption that somehow this has gotten labeled by someone who's upset that we're disrupting their media model. Mm, like commercials so, and whatnot. Right, commercials, the ability to dole out uh, the episodes one at a time on their schedule, not ours. So so if you look at it that way, then you say there's fundamentally nothing wrong with taking charge of, of your own viewing. So th- the, the question then becomes a question of choice and balance. So if, if it's enjoyable to you to watch three or four or five or six episodes of, of a television show in much the way that you would consume other media where you've traditionally had control, then I don't see anything wrong with it. I think the only thing, time that it becomes problematic for anyone is when it's interrupting other goals that you have. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're putting aside your work, you're putting aside your relationships, you're doing something because you you're sort of overspending your time in one area relative to others. But I think it makes perfect sense to enjoy a narrative at your own pace in the amount that you want, breaking it where you want to break it. Yeah, do you think there is like um that old model perhaps like the way we used to consume television where every single week we watch like an hour of television, that's it. Do you think that kind of disrupted the conversations you might've had during that where week to week you kind of talk about what happened, whereas now it's like you race through something and maybe that's also disrupting it a little bit. Uh, Well, certainly there were conversations that revolved around that pattern. Um, I would argue that, that those conversations were, that was a ritual, right? And so the the weekly television show became the bridge of choice, but that there are many bridges. So are there less people talking about Game of Thrones now than there, you know, there would be if it were out on a weekly thing or, you know, or any of the other shows where people have had the ability to to binge watch? I don't think so. I think that people are naturally 
um, interested in connecting with one another and they look for commonalities. So if a television show provides that commonality or a book or a game, then they use that topic. I've heard lots of people talking about a show where someone's farther ahead than others and, you know, their people are careful not to, you know, let loose with spoilers, but they're, (laughs) yeah, spoiler alert, right, exactly. But they're talking about the characters and the character development and, you know, how that, how they relate to them. So they're really talking about it at a more fundamental level because truth be told, there's only so much conversation you can get out of the plot, right? The rest of it is about how we're relating to the characters, how it makes us feel, you know, how, how we think it should unfold. Who we hate. Who's a dummy? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. My, fa- my favorite part. Those things are like little Rorschach tests, you know? Yeah. But my favorite part about that kind of discourse is like, oh, yeah, you remember from from that episode on uh, The Wire or whatever? You're like, oh, I haven't seen The Wire. And they're like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, well, yeah, you, sh- you should have seen The Wire. I mean. <laughs> yes, but we weren't saved from that with the weekly distribution, you know. Um, you could you could miss a show easily on, on the week, too. And, and certainly before everyone had a TiVo or a, you know, a VCR, they, you were really in danger of being out of True. it because there was no way to catch up. Mm-hmm. Wow, cable television's really feeling like the radio right now. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I remember recording uh, episodes of Twenty Four for my mom when she couldn't uh, uh, make it on v- like VHS. VHS, yeah, of course, yeah. And like, if it cut off the ending, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, you die. Yeah, it reminds me uh, of uh, well, like with video games, like everyone can play through it, but kind of have their own sort of experience. So you do have that kind of social you rush through a game like you can all like talk about it but in sort of a a separate way do you do you see other similarities between like habits of watching television and playing games well um actually i think there's there's some things that go on in games that are uh very interesting and positive that that doesn't happen in television which is that a game is interactive so you're actually developing skills so there's a lot of what we would call social capital uh, call it bragging rights, however you want to say it, in in talking about games because of the accomplishments, mm-hmm. right? When you move through a game, you're actually learning things, you're getting points, or you're getting levels, or you're solving problems, whereas with the TV show, you're, you have a different kind of reflection. You know, you have a more personal, it's more like personality, here's what I relate to, here are the characters, the, here's who I love, here's who I hate, you know, Thank God they killed that person, whatever. Hmm. Whereas in a game, you're really talking about a more, uh, both the narrative and the skill and the experience that you're having and comparing different approaches. So I think that there's some really interesting and positive things that go on in games that we don't see in television. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what would be, like, the benefits psychologically and socially, like, with you know, going through a series or playing through a game, I guess, in a sort of binging way. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, you're, if, if you talk about TV, then, then what you have is created, you know, sort of a body of knowledge that you can share, much like you would discuss any, any piece of art, right, or literature, and that you're talking about the narrative, the points that, that really resonated with you. So you're really sharing things on... Um, you're establishing some intimacy through shared experience in the sharing, but it's not about your own accomplishments. Whereas with games, you are 
creating a different kind of bond. You're sharing both your accomplishments and your um, and your knowledge, right? So there's a certain kind of mentoring that will go on among friends that, um, you know, what you tried, what someone else tried, you know, whether it's the game that you do once and, and you're done or a game where you continue to play, where it actually enhances your further play to have had that conversation. That's really good. It, so, it, it kind of brings to mind even just conversations around maybe it won't even about be about like comparing scores or anything, but it'll be about oh, you saw that part of the story? I never saw that because I made this decision. And there's this whole separate conversation around, like, volition and, like, oh, I would have never done something like that and finding out how different characters might have operated in different ways. You know you know what comes to mind for me that I'm kind of curious to know? Um, and maybe you'd be able to speak to this uh, with your research in, like, some kind of way. Um, I notice, and kind of writing off what you mentioned earlier, stigma often tends to create this kind of language with which we talk about different mediums, even though they're all sort of like, you know, on paper engaging with the same story. So like I in like high school might get into like EverQuest or like a massively online, like uh, multiplayer game or something. And there's a stigma that if you're playing a game like that, you're addicted to it. Right. Just because of news headlines, fanaticism, things like that. Right. Um, I'm curious to know the, if you've noticed any particular, like like noticeable differences in like a, either addictive qualities or um you know the amount of hours spent like whether it's reading a book or like playing a game that people operate differently or if it's all just sort of i don't know the same does that kind of make well, sense well i mean well sure uh, you know but there's a bunch of questions in there so i mean there's there is is the issue of of gamers, you know, da 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 dum, right? You know, where we've got this, <laughs> this, uh, this idea that somehow, you know, th- they're all, you know, sitting in the basement eating cheetahs and they've been there for weeks, um, and and that's really obviously untrue and unfair. And so we're starting to see a shift in the um, appreciation and role of gamings. And I think that's happened in two ways. One, because they're so widely adopted. I mean, the people who, who were first playing video games are now parents, right? And they're introducing their kids to games. So they've got a a different point of view. And, and there's always this initial reaction that's very technophobic when something new comes on, you know, that's not how I did it when I was a kid. Right. right? So that must be awful. And, and so you, people take longer to adjust. And so the first research questions were all very negative. You know, you know, what's wrong with this rather than what's going on here? And I think that the, the research has, has really moved, not entirely because, as you see, politicians love to blame video games every time there's a crisis, mm-hmm. but, but that's lessening. And there are people standing up and saying, hey, the research just doesn't support this. But to your point about, I don't like to use the word addiction because as a psychologist, addiction has very specific criteria, right? So it really is something that you are doing to the detriment of a lot of other areas in your life. Mm. And you feel incapable of stopping. Mm. That's different from feeling that something is engaging, maybe playing a little longer than you intended. And there are things about games that are different than reading. And one is that it's moving. 
it's colorful, and it's interactive. And all of those things are very appealing to the human brain, right? Yeah. We are hardwired to notice things that move. We are hardwired to want to solve problems, to solve mysteries. And when we are able to interact, we pay more attention. So if you ha so you've got those factors going on that help facilitate the ability to get into the game. And then the games have gotten very sophisticated with the narratives they're telling. So they're very engaging in that sense. You're taking a journey into another world. Yeah. And that's appealing. And especially if you've had a terrible day or you know, you're exhausted and you just want to escape for a little bit, it's very compelling to do that. And especially if you're playing with other people. Because while it might look, you know, to your, you know, your cranky grandma that you're sitting there all by yourself, you're actually having a very rich social experience mm. with other people who get what you're doing and who get you. And that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, that's really good. That, that actually it reminds me of this illustration um, I saw where it's like this bus, right? And like everybody's sitting on the bus and they all have their heads in their phones. And, you know, there's mm. a little like panel on the corner of like a gram saying like everybody's stuck in their black mirror and their phone, you know. Um, but, you know, they, they zoom in and then one guy's like talking to his wife and another person is talking with their best friend and they're like connecting over like a big situation that it is really interesting to see sort of what gets lost um, in those contexts. That's cool. Thank, thank you for that answer. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. It's also what you mentioned where the brain wants to like solve a mystery or something like mm -hmm. that reminds me of uh games have like gameplay loops and like mm -hmm. looking into you know the interaction or the comparing uh tv and like games and the habits of both i guess like the reason a lot of times we like go episode by episode and like keep going is because it has that narrative loop and it like catches right. you and i think that, would that be like an accurate comparison where that narrative loop in Mad Men is very similar to the gameplay loop of Dark Souls where you can you well, <laughs> Sure, because the the traditional sort of TV narrative arc is to not bring you home, right? Is to to get you almost there so that you have to come back next week. Or you know, how many times have you been watching something and you're going seriously? They're ending it here, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So so you watch to um, to sort of have the sense of completion because our brains really crave that. So absolutely in a game where you're feeling like you're continually s discovering um, more of, of the narrative or you're getting more answers. But the other thing about games to just throw out since you guys are part of the sort of the, the Forbes network is that they're seeing that people who have grown up playing games with that kind of collaboration and that kind of problem solving make much better managers, much better leaders, because it develops a, a new set of skills. Now, you know, we hear a lot about how the guys who go into the army are already able to, you know, they zoom right past the normal simulators, but we don't hear much about those problem solving skills, those collaboration skills that are really essential in run running or managing organizations and people. So I'm going to like be like a grand CEO 
this is going to happen. <laughs> no, legitimately. When I was in Philadelphia, I had a friend who was a owner of a sushi restaurant. Mm-hmm. And with his, his waiters, his staff, they used to play World of Warcraft. And he was the guild leader. And I had a moment where I was kind of talking with him about it a little bit. And he was like, yeah, honestly, a lot of the leadership skills that I use, like, it just transfers. Like, there's no difference That's between how I... <laughs> That's awesome. And he's like, we do really well because well, I just transfer those skills over, which was interesting to hear, you know. That's amazing. Yeah, but people are very simple, fundamental creatures, right? We, you know, just because we have all of this fancy technology doesn't mean our brains are any different than when we were running around on the savanna trying not to get eaten by saber-toothed tigers. <laughs> Very true. You know, so we had to collaborate. You know, we had to figure out who was the best hunter, who was the best, you know, child care provider, and don't screw those things up, <laughs> right? Because it doesn't work out well. So those skills, you know, are very basic. Yeah. I know my, uh, my friend's a high school physics teacher. And uh, so he naturally became the dungeon master when we started playing D&D. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. It's like he has to – wrestle all of us like get us on track because we're terrible but like he's pretty good at it <laughs> i could totally see like that i don't know what, what is it rat brain i forget how the my neuroscience is like really rusty yeah, but like yeah. yeah rat brain like i totally buy that especially relating to what you said with like there's sort of being narrative loops because mm-hmm. we do that even when we know what the what the resolve is going to be like it's syndications of syndications of Star Trek. Will the Inner Surprise survive? Of course it's going to. But, like, for whatever reason, we fool ourselves to believe it's not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Or how will it survive? I mean, yeah. which is really the question is how will it survive? And, you know, and the other thing, as I'm sure you have, is that I've watched the worst movies ever just because I can't stand to not know how it ends, even <laughs> though it makes no difference to the quality of my life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're just like, I'm almost done. I got to get to the end. Yeah. So true. I definitely see that being like that kind of segmentation working in with like episode by episode. Like, you know, like, oh, it's going to be 40 minutes and I like get it. That's like one thing in my brain, which sometimes I like, it's like a mental block where I want to play what, what I know will be like a 40 hour game. And in my head, I'm like, I can't just sit and play for something for 40 hours. But it's like, once you get into it, you know, it's like it's segmented into like levels and like stages right. and stuff like that. And it's. I, I guess that's part of it. Where knowing going in is that a thing? Like knowing going in that like it's forty minutes, and at the end, I will have some type of semi satisfaction. It will probably have a cliffhanger, but like it will be a complete narrative, and I'll that'll be like my medicine for the day in a sense. Like, well, yeah, because you you know, I mean, certainly with television shows, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to do one more episode. Let's see, you know, it's an hour show, but without commercials, that's 40 minutes. And you look at your watch and you go, okay, so if I watch one more episode, I can still get to bed at a reasonable time. Um, And so you just, you accept the cutoffs, even if you're not accepting how many loops of the story you're going to hear. And I, you know, and with games in the same way, you say, okay, I'm going to achieve X or Y. And then that's going to be my cutoff because I have to get some sleep tonight or I have to go to work or I have to do whatever, walk the dog, usually what breaks me out of things. Um, But, you know, so you use these markers in your brain to help regulate your behavior. Mm. And that's really one of the most important things in success in life is self-regulation. So to me, the problem with any kind of activity 
that's engaging, and I don't want to just blame media because there's certainly a lot of other activities that are engaging, is the ability to say, okay, I have to give myself a limit of when I stop doing this and move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm terrible at that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have one last question about uh, like social stigma. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start it with a bit of a, a little story. When I okay. so when I when I was in high school, I loved graphic novels so much, and I would spend so much time in Borders reading it, and I would buy some and bring them back home if I was able to save up lunch money, whatever. Um, sometimes I would spend entire weekends locked inside of my room reading, and my parents loved it. They when they saw me in my room, just like with my face in a book, like brought them joy like no other. You know what I mean? <laughs> Little did I know. Here's the twist, and I bet you can kind of figure it out. I mean, these bo- these graphic novel books, like they're in, they're at least an inch thick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I want to say like maybe like a year into really getting into them, one day my dad comes into my room and sees that I'm not reading like books. I'm reading really long comic books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what? What's going on? what is this? And so much disappointment <laughs> that this whole time he's looking through all the books of the bookshelf. It's like, yeah, dude, it's all, I'm not reading. Like, whatever. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm curious to know in, in, in your research, if you could sort of ask this question, like, has there been any semblance of social progress in the way that we sort of over romanticize obsessions with books versus like, like healthy obsessions with like other things? No. Um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, because, you know, there's a lot of history and a lot of, um, uh, what I want to say, sort of mental models about books and there's, you know, you know, philosophy and all of this stuff. But there's some been some very cool work done on graphic novels. And I think what we're seeing is more appreciation for graphic novels, not less appreciation for for books, do you know? Do you know what I mean? Um, there's a very cool book by uh, Scott McCloud, right? Who who uh, is one of the big names in in um, comics, really deconstructing what's going on in a comic, and it's extraordinary the amount of you know sort of creativity and the imagination that it takes, and you know different ways of following a story. So it's not it's not like cheating reading. It's yeah. a different experience. That's a, that's the perfect and, word for it, cheating reading. <laughs> um, you know, but it's also, I think, in education that people are starting to look at, at graphic novels as if someone's having a challenge reading, which is a skill you have to learn, you know, yeah. without the pictures at some point, yeah. um, is, is to use that as an entry point into reading right to get people engaged understand that there's a story that can be and then that's a transferable to other things or to use the creation of comics to get people writing yeah mm-hmm. so there's a, a there's a much broader point of view about different kinds of media and approaches to communication at the educational level than there is societally you know because we still have we you know we still have this sort of erudite New Yorker snobs, right? Who, it, it, you know, it won't matter. I mean, they still don't even like the the popular novel stuff. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that's what comes to mind for me. Like, I keep thinking, man, I've read some graphic novels that have that touch on some 
really good existential ideas with a level of nuance that makes Twilight look like garbage. And it is garbage. <laughs> like the fact that my face is in Twilight, you shouldn't think higher of me. <laughs> it's teen fiction. Why do we? I don't know. <laughs> That's me. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pamela, this is like really interesting and really great. Um, is, is there anything uh, you'd like to uh, add? Well, I guess the only thing that I would add is that if there are parents out there despairing because because their kids are are gamers, that they should not despair. That you know, while parents need to do their job establishing limits, and as I said, self regulation is one of the most important skills in life. And per- the other thing that happens in gaming is persistence, and persistence has been shown to be the most statistically significant factor in life success, more than intelligence, more than the grades you get in school, the fact that you're willing to keep trying and keep doing something no matter how many times you get killed, um, is a tremendous skill to have. So, you know, in that way, games are very powerful learning tools. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. That's great. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Anytime. And coming up next, Eric Kane and Paul Tassi talk about video game movies and why Hollywood just can't seem to get it right. But first, a quick break. Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. It's the semi-annual sale at Mattress Firm. For a limited time, get huge savings of up to $500 on our top-rated mattresses. We have more than 15 beds with over four-star ratings on sale store-wide. Like our fan-favorite Serta Memory Foam Queen mattress, now just $397. You won't find this deal anywhere else. But hurry in, this sale ends Tuesday. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. Hi, I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassi. Today we're going to talk about uh, video game movies, movies based on video games, which by and large, I would say, I don't know, nine times out of ten, if not more, uh, are pretty terrible. Yeah, it's, I'd say even more than that, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I would argue there is no truly great video game adaptation still made yet. There's some like halfway yeah. decent ones, maybe, but... We are still in in pursuit of that truly great one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 1993's Super Mario Brothers was amazing, but yep, yep. <laughs> didn't hate watch that uh, all day long. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, you know, like it's it seems like a decade after decade thing too, because you can go all the way back to '93 with Super Mario Brothers. You can the next year Street Fighter came out with uh, Jean Claude Van Damme, and then the Mortal Kombat movie the year after that. And so all throughout the 90s, we had these terrible video game movies. Um, and then you think, okay, well, as technology gets better, maybe we'll get some better movies. But then you get the the Tomb Raider movies, 
uh, not so great. Uh, there was a Doom movie. Um, I never saw Prince of Persia. Did it you see just, that one? Yeah, it was just average. <laughs> yeah, I just at that point, by the time like Prince of Persia came out, which was in 2010, I was pretty sour on the whole idea of seeing video game movies anymore. I mean, I'm still pretty sour. On yeah, it no, I remain sour point. on it. <laughs> and, like they're getting bigger budgets and like kind of more high profile people with them, but they're still just really not getting any better. And I, I think recently it's been even more disappointing because you're getting really kind of talented people attached to what seemed like they could be really good projects. Like you had Duncan Jones's Warcraft movie um, full of some pretty good people and he's a great director and I still just really dislike that movie. Or you have uh, Michael Fassbender starring in Assassin's Mm -hmm. Creed and it's kind of shot like more of like an art film with like a really kind of high-end director and it still is just kind of okay (laughs) at best. Yeah, I see. I didn't even see that one because I was excited about it, and then just from everything I heard from you and from other reviews, I just, I just, I, I'm going to rent it at some point. But I, for, for I guess me I'm putting. Off I think Assassin's Creed might be the best video game movie I've seen, maybe other than the original Resident Evil. But that's not saying much. It's still like you know <laughs> six out of ten. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you see something like the upcoming Tomb Raider game. Uh, movie, which looks a lot like the new games, and yeah, it's like a blend of the new, the two new games. Yeah, and it looks good. Like I, I can't deny it. Looking, I, I, but I at the same time, like the odds are against it, right? <laughs> yeah. Why is that? What's what's wrong? With, I think with I think the central problem is that you're adapting a lot of properties that don't necessarily have the strongest stories to begin with. Um, you know, like Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider's been fine, and like the new games were fun. But the, the most of the reason a lot of these games are good, like Doom or Prince of Persia or Assassin's Creed or Tomb Raider, is because of the gameplay. Mm-hmm. And if the story manages to not like totally fall on its face, that's like a plus. <laughs> but it's not really the primary reason most people kind of enjoy these games. And the problem is, is once you strip all the gameplay out, and all you're left with is kind of just the bare bones of the story, and you build up something around that. The end result is either really bad because you didn't quite realize how bad the story was the first time around or it's just sort of average. And without even seeing Tomb Raider, you know, unless it's packing some kind of huge surprises, it just seems like kind of a generic action movie. And like it's not even with a good cast or or whatever, it's just not going to be anything special and people aren't really doing anything special with these. So that's that's been kind of, I think, the major problem with it. Yeah, and it's it's almost like they don't know how to turn that that story that video game spirit almost not even story but that sort of idea behind games into film and it's interesting because there are films that are based on video games in general that are quite good like Wreck-It Ralph and The New Jumanji both of which play off of video games and are based on like the idea of video games but aren't actually adapted from specific video games yeah, I think people have figured out a way to make movies about gaming topics and like with gaming references and like about video games, but when you take all that completely out of like a normal game and just play it as like a serious action movie, it just doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's they're, they're told they're two totally different types of movies at that point. Like they did really I, I can't even consider those like, oh, Wreck It Ralph is the best video game movie because it's 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 its own thing. It's not really yeah. It's the a best true video game movie adaptation. about video games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And you know, the movie I really liked when I was a kid was The Wizard with Fred Savage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's probably a great – I think if I watch it now, I might not like it so much. <laughs> I don't but, know if that would age well, but yes. Yeah. But I loved it as a kid and that's another one where it's about video games. Well, it's actually a really big trailer for Super Mario Brothers 3. But um, at the time, it was very exciting, you know? <laughs> like, um, but yeah, ever since, you know, you know, Warcraft's an interesting one because it was a big budget. It had great special effects. It had some good actors. It um, And it, it had some good stuff in it. But overall, it was just weird. I don't know. I, some, there's just something missing, like something hollow about it. And I feel like that's the case with a lot of video game movies. They don't, they don't really try to make it about the characters so much as about the action and it always seems to fall flat. Yeah. Warcraft was the weirdest case. Cause there were some really good elements in that. Mm-hmm. Like the, the orcs were actually like a really well kind of fleshed out uh, part of the cast. And I, I thought their storyline was really interesting, but then all the human characters just really fell flat to me. And it felt like I was watching like some sort of weird, you know, high school play or something. And like no one, None of the human actors seem particularly <laughs> yeah. into it, and it's that's, that's it was true. just such a weird kind of mishmash of like thirty percent of it working and then just seventy percent of it kind of being nonsense. And I don't know, maybe Warcraft was just too big to take on because there's just so much to that, and you, you could feel that the people making it really, you know, loved the series and wanted to make it great and, and accurate. But I also feel that uh, video game movies can also suffer sometimes. For trying to be too faithful, <laughs> yes, uh, because then you get things like you know these hulking pauldrons on <laughs> soldiers <laughs> and like the art style that mirrors the game, but it doesn't really work in real life, and it just looks kind of goofy. Yeah, um, so I, I think you can run into problems that way. That's one thing I think Assassin's Creed did that was pretty good, where it used a lot of the central concepts, but made them a little less goofy for movie format and like Assassin's Creed's problem was that it got it all backwards and like three quarters of the movie was in present day with like one quarter being flashbacks which is anyone who's played the games (laughs) know how goofy that is but it it at least felt like kind of a more like it was taking things more seriously and it was learning how to kind of shape a game narrative into something resembling a, a coherent movie it didn't quite get there but it was somewhat close I, it's interesting that overall, I'd say comic books have been adapted into film much, much more skillfully than video games. Even though comic books don't always have the best stories either. I mean, a lot of times it's they're they're a little. I mean, they, there are good comic books, obviously, but a lot of times it's a little goofy. Uh, and yet we have things like the Dark Knight trilogy, which is for the most part pretty extraordinary. Um, I mean. Is that because of the difference in, in the medium or is it because like people like Christopher Nolan have made superhero movies, whereas like Christopher Nolan has not made a video game movie? Yeah, that's a good point. I think that for the most part, like both, I think both the high end games that would be best adapted into movies are being left on the sidelines and also the high end kind of directors are also left on the sidelines. Like Duncan Jones is probably the best yeah. director to take something like this on. But he's no, you know, he's not Christopher Nolan. He's not, you know, some, you know, uh, the Marvel directors. He's, it's, there, there's, there's kind of a disconnect there. And the, the properties that are being adapted are just, they're not, they're not the games I would consider with the strongest stories. Like even Assassin's Creed, like some aspects of Warcraft maybe, but there's just so many bits and pieces there that just picking one out and making a movie about it is tough. Yeah. Um, but I, in contrast, I think, 
if you just took The Last of Us, which they are doing, <laughs> and Uncharted, which I think they're still trying to do, and like Mass Effect or something, those those worked so well as like games slash movies themselves that I think there would be its own form of disconnect if you tried to adapt these already kind of movie-like games into just flat movies. <laughs> um, that would strike me as kind of weird, uh, given yeah. that you already know Joel and Ellie, and like if suddenly Ellie is played by Arya Stark or whoever they have, and <laughs> you know, Joel Edgerton, like <laughs> it's. I just think you're going to lose something there, also, yes. <laughs> even if those games have fundamentally better stories. So it's it's weird. It's you would think with with how well people have done with comic book movies that there would be a way to figure this out, but no one has yet. Not really. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think that a big part is like the focus on on the gamey sort of actiony thing. Like if you look at Warcraft again, we'll go back to that because it's just so recent. Um, you know, like you said, the, the 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 orcs were pretty well fleshed out, and there was an interesting arc, uh, especially for the sort of main uh, the main orc whose name I can't remember right now. Um, but with his family and sort of his conflict with the with the leader of of the client the horde um you know i think if they had focused on that and hadn't even brought the really big conflict with the humans into it at all for the first movie that you know you could have had a really good character driven movie and sort of and then in the second movie you could have introduced more of the conflict with the humans and you know they're trying to do everything all at once though they're trying to make this huge story with all these characters and, and yeah the human stuff was all pretty goofy um I don't know. I, I just feel like there's like you're saying like the character driven games are, are are great fodder for for a movie, but they already do that so well. I mean, The Last of Us was a beautiful game in in with one of the best stories and the best endings of any game I've ever played. I don't know what the point of making that into a movie is. I just what's the what's the use? At least an action game like Warcraft or or Doom or something, you know, they they don't have that much story to begin with, so that makes sense to make a story for them like. Like a, like like with Halo, why there's there's all these books written after Halo, right? And I like Star mm-hmm. Wars, but there's all these books that get that tell the story, and so that's like what the movies should do. They should tell more of the story, and in, in games that don't have a lot of that to begin with. Yeah, if you're just trying to adapt like Halo Three or something, it's just not right. You should tell a different story out. in that universe. I, I wonder if like the answer is to just go the other way and like take the goofiest concepts and make the movies like, you know, the rock is now starring in rampage, right? <laughs> you know, based on the arcade game of like three monsters destroying a city. It's like a side scroller, but like, I don't know, maybe that'll be like a fun, ridiculous, you know, action blockbuster and like actually a good movie, even though it's based on a game with no real plot. <laughs> that's super obscure. You know what I mean? But like, there's, I guess there's so little of a base there that yeah. they don't feel like they have to, owe the game really anything other than kind of its base concept so uh, maybe that will allow it to be better and kind of you know the vein of jumanji where they kind of just could could make everything up from, from scratch that was so lovely i just thought jumanji was such a great like just just video gaming movie just it was funny having three lives and uh you know power the power yeah all the different little yeah. this the, my favorite was the npcs who would talk but then if you kept talking to them they'd just say the same line over and over I thought that was so yeah. clever. It was so obvious that the people making Jumanji had played a bunch of video games, you know? I would love to see, like, a Call of Duty movie, like, made in that vein. Oh, yeah. Where <laughs> it's, like, half it's like half a serious war movie, but then half literally using, 
like video game tropes like oh my vision's red like i can't yeah. <laughs> i have to hide behind this pillar <laughs> yeah but, like, they it, are making a call of duty movie and i'm sure it's just going to be like a generic war movie like, like the guy who's doing, who's doing sicario 2 is doing the call of duty movie or something huh. so it's going to take itself very seriously and i i, I maybe it'll work but boy I, I mean i don't really have faith in that so yeah <laughs> Well, the problem is, is that for the most part, Call of Duty campaigns have a lot of stupid crap in them. You know, like if 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 Call of Duty, I, I, I mean, there's been some great Call of Duty campaigns, but you know, it's it's, for, it's a lot of the time it's kind of incomprehensible and too over the top, and and then, and that could make for like you're saying a very a very entertaining movie if you kind of ran with that. Yeah. But yeah, it'll probably be just very very violent and very you know, macho and all that stuff. So another hybrid movie I could see working would be like Grand Theft Auto where they were like yeah. using some of the tropes. Cause that's like a tongue in cheek series to begin with. So I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if any of these things are going to actually come to pass, but I, I'm really not terribly excited about anything coming up, whether it's Tomb Raider or, you know, potential call of duty movie or last of us movie. It's just my last kind of faith died after both Assassin's Creed and Warcraft turned out to be just mediocre. Yeah. Cause both of those for different reasons seemed like they had the potential to break through. And like, if neither one of them did like, man, I don't know until like HBO greenlights a mass effect series or something. <laughs> I, I don't know when <laughs> yeah, but, it's going to happen, but then you'd lose, you know, the, the things you lose going from game to film are, are interesting because you lose character choice. Like mass effect is yeah, so game, heavily sure. built on choice. And, and so you lose that going to film. And then you have even like linear games like Uncharted or The Last of Us, which have a lot of emphasis on story, but not so much on choice. Those games have gameplay, you know, where you're shooting and you're climbing and you're driving and you lose that. Um, you know, it's, it's similar to adapting a, a book, but it's, it's almost a little more disorienting because a book is just a, is a story. And you, it's tricky to ad adapt it because you have, to, you know, in a book, maybe you have the character's thoughts on the page. You know, in the book, you have maybe multiple perspectives, multiple internal dialogues, and that's all hard to translate into a into a film. But at least, you know, you it'd be more tricky to, to adapt a choose-your-own-adventure book to a, into a movie, you know? Right. Um, and then there's the flip side to all this, which is, uh, video games that are licensed from film properties, which is a whole other bag of worms. Like, <laughs> There's a lot less of those than there used to be. Right. There, it used to be every time a big blockbuster would come out, there'd be a greenlit, you know, accompanying game with it. But yeah, because like of Lord game of production Rings. and how long those take to make, yeah. And some of those were good. Like the Lord of the Rings games were actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they I were linear. The Spider-Man games they were, fun. were yeah. good. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of just awful shovelware too. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I think that dramatically outweighed the positives and they were just, it was like 90% chance you'd get just a garbage game that was rushed out to production in order to hit, you know, a release schedule. And now you really just don't kind of see that anymore. Like you might have kind of events that tie in. Like if you have like, like a Marvel, like I play like a Marvel mobile game and there's like uh -huh. a Black Panther like tie in event this month, but it's not, it's not, it's not like someone developed a Black Panther video game that's coming out today. You know what I mean? As cool as that might sound in theory. Yeah. It just doesn't really happen anymore because, I mean, they're still making video game movies, but they're, they're making a lot fewer kind of uh, movie video games. One of the more interesting uh, in recent years was the uh, Disney Infinity game, which brought a lot of Disney properties into that sort of sandbox game. That was canceled. I think the earliest, yeah. <laughs> uh, earliest adaptation that I remember playing 
is the old Willow RPG back on like the NES. Did you ever play that? Uh, that's that's before my time. Man, that was a great game. It really was yeah. a great game. It was very much like a Final Fantasy, but you played as you know Willow Uffbrook, and you had like acorns that could turn bad guys into stone, and it was really fun. I really liked that game. That's cool. Although, although it's been a long time since I played it, obviously. <laughs> uh, but yeah, most of the time they are kind of shovelware. Um, I guess we have we have upcoming. I guess it's not a movie adaptation, but there's the the, the new uh, Walking Dead game that's going to come out. That looks pretty good, and that's really based off the comic more than the show. Is that the the Payday Dev uh-huh. one? I can't. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember. Uh, yeah, most of the the games are based on the comics, mm-hmm. which is weird, and not the show. But and we've got I don't know, like I, even like Telltale did the comic uh, adaptation. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still waiting for someone to get off their behinds and make a freaking like fallout scale walking dead game like an rpg yeah no kidding which seems like a no-brainer like give it to any talented dev i mean i I guess i've been waiting for that for game of thrones too right that's what i was just gonna say isn't it amazing that we don't have like an amazing open world game of thrones rpg you know like i get that there's a lot of competition in the space and the games are expensive to make but stuff like that just seems like like pay pay someone what they need to be paid to make that and that's a billion dollar game easily you know what i mean so uh, I wish that there, we would see more of that, but given kind of how unwieldy games of those that size are, we're only seeing you know The Walking Dead making six mobile games and a Telltale game and you know kind of random stuff as opposed to one giant game they invest a ton in. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just think I think that it would just make so much sense. I mean, especially with these properties, you know, something like Game of Thrones that has just such a huge. Or Walking Dead, such huge fan bases, it seems. But but then again, maybe it wouldn't... You know, we've seen games... Like, I played the uh, Game of Thrones RPG that came out a few years ago. It was terrible. There's, like, a curse yeah. involved, I think. Maybe there's something I, to be I, said I don't for. understand how that game even got made, because, like, no one's even heard of that. It's like, no, that existed, and it was extremely <laughs> bad. So <laughs> bad. Maybe it's a licensing issue. I don't know. Yeah, but. it could be. Did you hear, just to, just to jump off topic real quickly, that... Um, Get, uh, George R. R. Martin's latest on the Winds of Winter. It's going to be delayed again. Well, he's going to finish this Fire and Blood. Like I don't know what it is. It's like a guide or like a, like I don't know, like a encyclopedia One type of his thing. Side yeah. project things. Yeah, he's going to yeah, finish yeah. that first before he finishes. Yeah, that's 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 definitely what he should be doing. <laughs> it's like why? <laughs> why are you doing this? <laughs> I don't know. I give up on him at this point. But. I don't get it. I just don't understand. It's so infuriating. Uh, at least we have Brandon yeah. Sanderson. Oh, yep. and speaking of Sanderson, there was a Mistborn game in development for a while, and that got canceled. Was there? Um, the Way of Kings, or whatever the this is. A, the other series, yeah. um, that would that that whole thing struck me as very video gamey, and I think yeah. th- I thought that would make a great all his stuff kind has. of video game series. But you know, they're doing a. I just got a PR thing about a VR experience for. Uh, yeah, I saw yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, and I don't know. Maybe that's like what we're going to see more of is like instead of you know big budget movie games or something, we'll see like oh, this is the VR interactive companion thing to. <laughs> I don't love that idea though. I have to say it's like, not it's not better, but it's I guess it, it depends how it's handled. I guess depends on if I want to get my PSVR out of storage every day, you know, anytime, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, my uh, Oculus is a couple floors down for me in storage. Yeah, so. my <laughs> Oculus is all packed up too. I sold my Vive. 
You did? Yeah. yeah. I, I did. mean, that was a lot of VR headsets for one household. I have one, and that's one too many. I know. <laughs> well, I wanted to try them all out, you know, and I wasn't getting yeah. free ones, so I bought all of them and then realized my mistake. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, that's, a, that's a subject for another time, VR. We can always dip back into that. I think we've, I think we've done a whole thing on that already. Yeah, well, once. <laughs> it's, it's an evergreen subject until that industry that's falls true. apart anyways. But. Yeah. Well, once Ready Player One comes out, we'll... Uh... <laughs> Well, after have some stuff to talk yeah, about. and after this podcast, I think that movie executives everywhere will want to hire us to assist them in making their next big video game movie because we've pretty much answered all the all the mysteries and questions that have hindered uh, you know this this process in the past. So, yep, exactly. we haven't made. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. See ya. That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. The semi-annual sale at Mattress Firm. For a limited time, get huge savings of up to $500 on our top-rated mattresses. We have more than 15 beds with over four-star ratings on sale store-wide. Like our fan-favorite Serta Memory Foam Queen mattress, now just $397. You won't find this deal anywhere else. But hurry in, this sale ends Tuesday. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.